All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Mac, for uh, hosting this morning and our praise team. And it's great to see all of you as you finish greeting each other. Make your way back to your seat and uh, get ready to turn to God's Word today. Just want to tell you what a joy it is to be able to greet you this morning. And um, thank God for the sun. We thank God for the rain, too. Right? It was a blessing, even though... It was so unusual. I've been telling people, like, as long as I've been living in San Angelo, I can't remember a time that it rained this much for this many, this many days in a row. So we normally get uh, 19 inches of rain. Uh, when we, this summer, we went to see Joey, Josiah, in uh, Maryland. And on the way home, the, the day of our flight, the morning of our flight home, it was going to be that afternoon, our flight got canceled because there were storms around D.C. So we were just sitting down to have breakfast, and I got a notice on my phone. This flight is canceled. I thought, oh, my word, what do I do now? So I, and I, I called. I got online. I couldn't find any other flight, so I called the airline directly. And I was, we were able to find one flight, not out of D.C., but out of Baltimore. So we had to, we had to go to Baltimore. And uh, the lady says, can you get to Baltimore? Oh, yeah, we'll get there. So uh, it, it worked out, and she said, now it's also raining in Baltimore, so we can't guarantee, but fortunately we were able to, to, to get out. But it was raining so much that whole day, and so we took an Uber to, to Baltimore, and uh, Uber driver, very, very uh, nice gentleman, talkative, and, and we're talking about the rain, and I said, you're not going to believe this, but where we come from, we get about 19, an average of 19 inches per year. And uh, he says, yeah, I, says, I don't believe that. <laughs> he says, I told him it's true. He said, that's hard to believe. And, uh, but uh, this year, we're already up to, I think I read yesterday, 27, 28 for the year. So, well, what a blessing. You know, it is, it is a blessing. Yeah, let's give God praise for that. Can we do that? Amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to conclude a series of um, the series that we have had going out. This is a fourth week on finding and following God's will. This series, um, I've called it, this is funny, you're going to find this funny. I, I keep saying series and Siri pops up. No, I'm not talking to you, Siri. This series, there it goes again, <laughs> what can I help you with? <laughs> uh, is Solve for X. And the reason I, I landed on that title is because sometimes discerning God's will can seem like finding the X in algebra. You gotta, you gotta work out this problem, and it's it's so hard to to find. It eludes us. It frustrates us. But uh, it doesn't have to be that way. If we can learn certain foundational principles, we can be positioned to discern God's will, and we we can learn to follow God's will. So this is what this series has been about. We've talked about how uh, the first week we we looked at. Three types of, of God's will, God's providential will or God's sovereign will, things that God is going to do because He wills it. And it doesn't matter whether we believe it or don't believe it, whether we pray for it or pray against it, it's going to happen. And that's, we saw that as a boundary in, in, uh, in our lives that we, if we align ourselves to what God is doing, we find it easier to find God's will for our lives. And then uh, we also looked at how there's another boundary, which is God's moral will for our lives. Things that in the scriptures we find God has standards of, of behavior for us. Things that are, that are wrong, things that are sinful that we should not do, that we should avoid. Sometimes doing God's will is a, a matter of avoiding 
certain things. And uh, so we have one boundary is God's providential will. Another boundary is God's moral will. And the one we're really most interested in is the one in the middle. That's God's personal will. As long as we align with God's um, providential will or His sovereign will and we obey God's moral will, it, it makes it easier for us to discover God's personal will for our lives. So that's really kind of been the basis of what we're talking about. Last time we talked about how uh, we need a renewed mind need a, re- a renewed mind to be able to discern God's will. Sometimes we can't tell what God has for us because our mind is carnal. And uh, yet the Bible tells us that when we're in Christ, we have the mind of Christ. And I, I love that, uh, that portion of scripture where Paul writes to the Corinthians and he, and he tells them, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor is there a mind that has conceived what God has prepared for those that love him. Now, most of the time we, we read that verse and we hear somebody talk about it and, and they frame it in the, in, the, in the sense of that's talking about heaven. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, our mind cannot conceive what God has prepared for us in heaven. But that's not what it says. It says uh, what God has prepared for those who love him. But then Paul says, but God has revealed that to us through his spirit. So we can See, we can understand the things that carnally we cannot see, we cannot hear, we cannot, our mind cannot conceive some things. But through the Spirit of God, and that's what he says later, we have the mind of Christ. And it's through the mind of Christ, through the Spirit of God, that we're able to discern God's will. So we talked about the importance of having a renewed mind. And again, as I say to you every week, go back and listen uh, to, to those sermons if, if uh on your favorite podcast app, whether it's Apple or there's a, an app called Overcast that works great on iOS and Android. And uh, just subscribe to our feed there. And every week, as soon as it's, it's up on the Internet, uh, it'll just appear for you. So that's a, probably the easiest way to do that. I'd love for you to, to listen to those and, and get a good understanding of, of the whole series. But today we're going to conclude with a message on surrendering to God's will. Surrendering to God's will. This is a real struggle for many of us, isn't it? It's a real struggle. Uh, many people know what God wants for them, but they struggle with giving up their will, their plans, the things maybe they've been thinking about since they were very young, giving those things up for God's will, even though God's will always works out better for us. So we're going to look, begin uh, today by looking at Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. Now Isaiah 14 tells us a story of Lucifer. We know him now as Satan. But before he was Satan, he was an angel, the morning star, the Bible calls him. An angel by the name of Lucifer. He was a very beautiful, very beautiful angel. Uh, he was one of the, one of the head Angels, in fact. But one day he decided that uh, he was uh, jealous of all the attention that God was getting. And he wanted to be like God. And so if we were to summarize the, the heartbeat of Lucifer. I'm going to read this portion of scripture in Isaiah 14. And, and if we were to summarize the heartbeat of Lucifer. I think you would agree with me that there are two words that capture the essence of who he was. So I'm going to read this, and you read along, and then see if you can tell me what are the two words 
that capture the essence of Lucifer's heart. Here's Isaiah 14, 13. You said in your heart, talking to Lucifer, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Saphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Now, what are the two words that describe the heart and the heartbeat of Lucifer? Anybody want to guess? I will. I will. Notice how often he says that. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I will. I will. I will. It's all about Him. Now I want you to compare that with the words of Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus, the Son of God, when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, just mere hours before He would be tortured, and killed. You can capture the essence of who he was. And we spoke about this in the first sermon on this, uh, in this series. The essence of who he was. Was found also in two words. He, he said Lord if it's possible. Father if it's possible. Don't let me go through this. Let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless he said not my will. But your will be done. The two words that captured the heart of Jesus were your will. Lucifer, I will. Jesus, Father, your will. Let your will be done. Lucifer wanted to make himself known. But Jesus wanted his Father to be made known. Lucifer wanted his will. Jesus wanted God's will. And the battle between light and darkness still rages on today in the heart of every one of us. Every person on earth, including us as Christ followers, will it be my will or will it be your will? My will or your will? So what I want to do is, is we talk about the surrendered life. You know, we're talking about if we, we get to the point that we can say to God, Lord, let your will be done. That's a surrendered life. But what does it take to get there? I want to talk to you about three stages of the surrendered life. Three stages of the surrendered life. And, and I think that as we go through these today. You'll see that every one of us will, will probably fall in one of these three stages. And I encourage you to, to have an open mind and open heart to the Spirit of God. And, and evaluate yourself. Check your heart as we study this together today. The first stage of a surrendered life is a fictional surrender. It's a surrender that isn't really a surrender. It's a surrender that says, yes, God, have your way in my life. But when push comes to shove, we don't really want to surrender our life to God. So a fictional surrender is when you want what you want and you want it now. So you're not really surrendered to God, you're surrendered to yourself. When you want what you want, then you want it now. And how many of you would say, at least in some area of your life, you battle that you want what you want, and you want it now? There are many examples of this in Scripture. Certainly mean examples, uh, modern examples in, in our lives. But we're going to look at one in, in the Scriptures from Genesis 16. One of the many examples uh, we have, we have a married couple. They wanted what they wanted. 
And they didn't want to wait. They wanted it right then and there. When they didn't get it, they took matters into their own hands. They wanted what they wanted, and they wanted it now. So it's a story of Abram and his wife Sarai in Genesis 16, beginning with verse 1. Listen to this story. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Sure he did. Of course he did, right guys? Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Now this is a story that captures the essence of this philosophy. We want, we want what we want and we want it now. We don't want to wait on God's timing. If God's will says, wait, we say, no, I can't wait. I want this now. They wanted a, 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 a son and hadn't God promised them the son? God had, had told them they would have a son even in their old age. And so they knew that God was going to keep his word and yet they weren't happy with the timing. And so they said, no, we want it now. And because of this decision that they made, this one decision has brought generations and generations and generations to come. Extreme pain, extreme hardships, because this couple wanted what they wanted and they went outside the boundaries of God and and they took matters into their own hands. Now when I examine my own life, man, I, I see all sorts of examples of when I tried to take shortcuts. Sometimes we do that. We, we know what God's will is. We, we've been able to discern God's will. But we try to take a shortcut. And because we think as long as I know God wants me to have this. And I'll just, I'll just go for it now. And maybe God's will is for you to wait. So in reality we're not really surrendered to God's will. It's a fictional surrender. Somebody says I want a new car. And I want it now, even though maybe they can't afford it. In fact, many people, this is not the case uh, for everyone, but uh, for many people, if there are any kind of debt, uh, maybe they're in debt because there was some kind of an emergency, that's understandable. Maybe they're in debt because it's planned, uh, and they plan to buy a house, or plan to buy a car, or whatever it was. But some people, they're in debt because they surrendered to materialism. They surrendered to I want it, and I want it now, even though it wasn't the right time for them to buy that item. And so now they're paying interest on stuff that perhaps wasn't God's will at that time for them to have. So they're, uh, they're guilty of, of saying, I want it, and I want it now. And yet they say, oh God, I surrender all. I surrender everything to you. Others say, I, say, I, I want a new house. I got to have it now. I got a bigger, I need a bigger house. Somebody, somebody might say, I, uh, you know, I have to get married now because, uh, you know, as they say, my biological clock is ticking, whatever it is. Others say, I want a, I want a piece of that cake. No, I want the whole cake and I want it now. You know, we'll fill in the gaps later. We're tempted to live with what is nothing else than a theology of happiness. That's what it amounts to. A theology of happiness. Basically, when you believe that the bottom line is that we be happy. God wants me to be happy. And that's, your, that's people's theology. 
the theology of happiness. God wants me to, to be happy. And if something makes me happy, then I'm going to do it, even though I'm not sure really God wants that for me right now or at all. So if we're happy, brother, God is good. And if we're not happy, then forget God, forget the church, and forget all that stuff, because happiness is the bottom line, a theology of happiness. But the problem is, as we search the scriptures, we see that happiness is not the bottom line of our lives. It's not about happiness, it's about holiness. It's about a a true surrender, not a fictional surrender. Proverbs 19.21 reads like this, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So what's it going to be for us today? Is it going to be our own plans or the purposes of God? The purpose of, uh, purposes of God will prevail. Our plans may, may fall apart if they're not aligned with the purposes of God. So where a lot of people are is this, this first stage. It's a fictional surrender. They say, I want what I want and I want it now. There's another stage of surrender. This is what I call a provisional surrender. A provisional surrender. This is when you want what God wants, but you also have an escape clause or some fine print, or maybe you have your own standards that God has to meet. You set the standards. In other words, your surrender to God's will is conditional. It's provisional. You want what God wants, but there's... There's something there, there's an escape clause, there's something to get you out of that situation. If things don't work out the way that you want them. The problem is that people who are in this stage of surrender, uh, they have a big excuse, excuse, have an excuse that keeps getting in the way of them surrendering to God. I want what God wants, but... So, one day Jesus was having a conversation with a... Uh, We know him as a rich young ruler, a young man who was rich, very rich. He was a ruler of some kind, and he came to Jesus, and he seemed interested in spiritual things. Jesus told him, hey, you know what to do? You know, just uh, obey the commandments. And he, interestingly enough, he says, I've I've obeyed all the commandments, which is a little bit of pride. Who who of us can say, I've obeyed all the commandments? But he did. And... uh, he had a problem, though. His problem wasn't that he was wealthy, super wealthy. And we never find in the scriptures that wealth is, is uh, forbidden. But the problem was that, not that he had material possessions, but that the possessions had him. He apparently was gripped by materialism. He was gripped by material possessions. He didn't just own them, they owned him. And because Jesus said something to him that he didn't say to anybody else in the Bible... Not at any other time do we see Jesus say this. He was trying to help this young man let go of the thing that gripped him so tightly so he could truly become a follower of Jesus, truly surrender to Jesus. So in Mark 10, 21, we read this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And verse 22 reads that at this a man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So this rich young ruler wanted to follow Jesus. But he wanted to do it on his own terms. On his own terms. Most of us want to follow Jesus. But maybe somebody out there... 
Do you want to do it on your own terms? We want what God wants. Yes, I want what God wants. But, but there's always an excuse. And I can tell you that you'll never, ever experience the best of God for your life. The abundance of God for your life when your excuse is in the way. Uh, the very first story in the Bible, we, we have so many examples of this. The very first story, first story in the Bible, Adam and Eve. They wanted to enjoy intimate fellowship with God, but they also wanted to eat the forbidden fruit. Jonah wanted to be a worshiper of God, a prophet, a man of God, but he didn't want to preach to those low-down, no-good Ninevites. David in the Old Testament, a man after God's own heart. He loved that. He loved to be in the temple of God, but, but he also wanted to love Bathsheba. Peter wanted to be a follower of Jesus, but he didn't want Jesus to go to the cross and, and to die. He wanted him to, to stay there, to keep living, to stay with him. The disciples wanted to be a part of the kingdom of God, but they wanted the kingdom of God here on earth. They weren't talking about heaven. They had their own excuse. And uh, that happens to many of us today. We have a desire. We have a desire to. We love God. We have a desire to surrender to God. Surrender to God, but we want to do it on our on our terms. I want God to bless me financially. I want what God wants for me. I want to surrender to His will financially, but I also want to, you know, make uh, make decisions on my terms. I don't really want to be all that generous. Because the things of this world just mean too much to me. And I don't want to give them up. I want what God wants for my life. I really do. I really do. But as long as I can be comfortable and I won't be challenged. I don't know what excuse might be getting in your way today. We've got too many excuses. Too many qualifications. Too many conditions. And our surrender becomes a provisional surrender. But there's another stage. And that's the stage of unconditional Surrender. An unconditional surrender is when you want what God wants, period. When you want what God wants, period. That's it. No ifs, ands, or buts. No maybes, no perhaps, no if onlys. Just what God wants. I want what God wants, period. When Jesus invited some people to follow him, as he often did, I want you to look at the standards he put before them. In Luke 9, 23, he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Do you want to be my, my disciple? You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross every day and follow me. Now the word deny means to, to disavow. To disavow. When uh, we say we disavow ourselves. We're saying we're no longer loyal to ourselves. We're not loyal to our desires. Look, you've got desires, right? You've got goals. You, you've got plans. You've got desires, things that you long for. But when you deny yourself, you disavow yourself from those desires. You're no longer loyal to those desires. You can still have them, but they're not the most important thing. We're loyal only to the desires of Christ. The word deny means to disavow. The word deny also means to contradict. We contradict our self-centered, selfish nature. And we're all born with a self-centeredness. And we make it really bad on our children because we spoil them, especially grandchildren. Right? We spoil them. 
we love them and you know we don't we don't want them to to suffer we don't want we want them to just enjoy life and so it becomes all about them and they're, they're already selfish in nature and we just make it worse so we can't take anything we can't buy anything new at the store without Kara saying for me no it's not for you it's like every day for me no it's not about you but it's our fault it's partially our fault. And it's, it's also just na- human nature. We're self-centered. We have this selfish nature. But when we deny ourselves, we contradict that. We disavow our desires and we contradict our nature. Disavow also means to reject. We reject our own will so we can experience His will. It means we surrender our will to His. To deny ourselves means we deny or refuse ourselves in order to be a follower of Christ. You know, being a follower of Christ is not just about saying a short prayer that gives us a get out of hell free card or get get into heaven free card and then we go about our life. Just say a short prayer and then go about our life as we want. It's a fully surrendered life. Like my life no longer counts. It's not about me. I surrender it all to you. That's what it's about. This Wednesday I had an opportunity to pray for a young man who's he's a football player at, uh, at Lakeview. And we had this event at Lakeview, uh, the 7 Assembly, 7 Project, and it went, it went great. Um, the rain, the constant rain hurt the attendance, but we still had probably close to 300 uh, people there, young people in addition to the, the adults who were there. So during the, the after the, the the final message, there were two testimonies in the message, and there was a, an invitation for people, to, young people to give their hearts to Christ, and there were several, probably maybe, I want to say 20, 25 people that went forward, and then they opened it up to young people who wanted to, um, just wanted to rededicate their lives to Christ. And so a young man came, we were, all the uh, adult sponsors were standing in a row up at the front. So this young man came up, tall guy. And I prayed with him. I had to reach up to him. He's a pretty tall football player. And um, he goes to a Baptist church here in town. And he came up and he just shook his head. And he says, oh, man, it's, I just got to get serious with God. And I, I've, I've just, I've just got to rededicate myself to God. And I let him talk a little bit. And so I began to pray for him. And he began to cry. And his prayer was words of surrender. What moved, you know, here's this tall, good-looking guy, football player. He built like a football player, uh, linebacker, and uh, he's crying. And he says, I just want to get my, my life together. And I thought, this is what we all need to do. Because we all face those challenges where we fall back into a fictional surrender or we're just in a provisional surrender. What God is calling us is an unconditional surrender. Stop playing games with God and get serious about following Him. But you're never going to experience God's best. You're never going to experience God's best when it's all about you. And people struggle. They struggle in their life and they struggle in their finances. They struggle in their relationships And it's not going to change until they surrender their life unconditionally to God. Not my will, but your will. Jesus and Lucifer. Lucifer, I will, I will, I will. Jesus, not my will, but your will. That's what I want to encourage you to do today. 
to surrender to Jesus unconditionally. Unconditionally. Come to the place where, you know what? My way is never going to get me. My will is never going to get me to where God wants me to go. My will is never going to get me to a life of abundance and joy and fulfillment. I've got to surrender completely to God. Every part of my life. Every area of my life. An unconditional surrender with no excuses. Denying myself. Disavowing. Contradicting. Refusing myself so that I can follow Jesus. Now when I say that and we hear Jesus call his disciples to that kind of life. We might say, that seems so boring. If If I have to always live just denying myself. Then what kind of life is that? It's a great life. And I'll tell you why. Because Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will grant you the desires of your heart. So it turns out that God will turn around and grant you the desires of your heart, but you've got to delight yourself in Him. You've got to delight yourself in Him, not in yourself, not taking the shortcuts and trying to do things your way. What's God's will? We say, what's God's will? How can I solve this for X? How can I find and follow God's will? I'll tell you who God's will is. God's will is to give you the desires of your heart. But don't mistranslate that like so many people do. Oh, so God is like my, my spiritual genie. He comes out, I rub, I rub him, and the Holy Spirit just pops out and says, What are your three wishes? Your wish is my command. No, that's not what it's saying at all. It's about coming to a place in your life where your heart is fully surrendered to God and your desires reflect that surrender. It's a surrender of our will to God's will that allows for a life of abundance. So, is it going to be I will or your will? Is it going to be I will or your will? I want you to think about that and and think how different your life would be if you surrendered unconditionally to God's will. Without even knowing perhaps what God is going to call you to, what God is going to lead you to in the future, but you just surrender to God's will. Knowing that it may be a year or two or maybe a lifetime of difficulties, but in the end, in the end, it's so rewarding, so fulfilling, more so than the material things you thought were going to fulfill you what would your life be like if you were totally surrendered to God's will what would your family be like your children your grandchildren your extended family what would what would it be like if you led the way in living a life that was totally surrendered to God's will can you imagine can you imagine what would this church be like Can you imagine what this church would be like if your life was totally surrendered to God's will? If we had men here, women, teenagers, like this young man I prayed for who said, you know what, i got to get serious with God. i got to surrender my life. What would Solid Rock be like? What would our fellowships be like? What would our services be like? What would our church life be like? It would be very different if we had a church. And I want you to envision that if we had a church where we weren't perfect, we still struggle with, with temptation, but we had a desire to be completely surrendered to God. And we followed Him unconditionally. And so you might find, whether you find yourself in a fictional surrender, and only you can say, or a provisional surrender, or an unconditional surrender. We can all make a decision today to surrender unconditionally 
to God.